0: Today we're starting a, a new series of studies, and for the next few weeks we're going to be specifically looking at the writings of Isaiah. The The book of Isaiah, just for a little background, the book of Isaiah is the third largest, longest book in the Bible. Um, comes in behind Jeremiah and the Psalms. The writers of the New Testament quoted Isaiah quite frequently. In fact, Isaiah's writings are quoted 83 times in the New Testament. Isaiah was a contemporary of Amos, Hosea, and Micah, and they all prophesied during around the same period of time. The book of Isaiah, if you go back to the very beginning, opens with the historical fact that Isaiah began serving God as a prophet shortly after the death of King Uzziah. In fact, Isaiah served as a a spokesman for God during the reign of, of several kings, including Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and probably even Manasseh, who without a doubt was one of the most evil of all these kings. And with that, let's go to our our passage that we're reading this morning, starting in Isaiah 6, and read verses 1 through 3. And stay with me a little bit this morning as we start these first few verses. It's kind of setting us up for where we're headed, um, and a lot of it is, this is a vision that that Isaiah has, and we'll go through a little bit of explanation of that to get to where we're headed. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And there above him were seraphs, each had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. So we see that historically... That after 50 year, over 50 years, but I think it was closer to 52 years, uh, on the throne, King Uzziah had died. And Israel had gotten used to uh, Uzziah's leadership and the general era of peace that had taken place under his rule. They didn't really have a lot of problems while he was in power. But now things were changing. He has died, and the king was dead, and his enemies were beginning to gain strength, <clears throat> Unlike they had done at certain times in the past, not always, but at certain times in the past, this time, the people absolutely were not looking to God for help. In fact, what they were looking for was to form alliances with whomever it seemed had the most chariots and most horses. And these are the people whom, to whom Isaiah was called on to prophesy. And These were the people who, for the most part, would not only ignore Isaiah's words of warning... They would ignore him with contempt. It's one thing to just ignore somebody. It's another thing to have contempt as you ignore them. And that's pretty much what Isaiah had to look forward to. And it was during this tumultuous time when Isaiah was probably a relatively young man still that he received this, this glorious vision of the Lord on his throne in the temple. And that's part of what we just read. According to Isaiah's vision that's recorded in the passage that we're reading today, The Lord's magnificence is symbolized by this royal robe, a huge robe that is so lavish and abundant that its overflow, the the parts that weren't wrapped around the Lord in this vision, filled the entire temple surrounding the throne. And in that moment, even though Isaiah knew that, that his country was probably headed for some difficult times, and they were probably in trouble because... They didn't know who the king would be that would come in and take Uzziah's place. I believe that when he saw this king on this throne and the greatness of this king and realized that this is not just a king, this is the king of all kings who was absolutely sovereign in the affairs of men, who was absolutely sovereign in the history of nations. And I believe that he saw how great God truly was and who he really was and it caused him to to have a, a desire in his heart to do whatever it was that God called him to do. No matter how much opposition he might face or how difficult the task might be. And this was important because things were going to get bad. The message that Isaiah was going to give to the people was not one of happy, happy. And he knew that it would not be met with a lot of niceties. But he sees this image of, of his God... And he sees how great he is, and all of a sudden, all of those things just don't matter. Because when he realized how big his God was, he really didn't care about all the other stuff. And we'll see a little bit later how that affected him. Let's look at some of the details of Isaiah's vision. He wrote that above the Lord hovered a special type of angelic beings, one of the few who are recorded in Scripture who actually fly. Now, when we see pictures of angels, they all have wings. But this is one of the few places in the Bible that actually talks about some type of angelic being flying. Not to mess up all the pictures you might have. This is just a fact. The word seraphim literally means burning one. And the, the name seraph suggests a type of fiery angelic being. So these weren't just any angels. These were like angels on fire. And some Bible scholars have speculated that they burn in such a way because they call attention to the holiness of God, the the greatness of God and how holy He really is. A God who is so holy that even these angels who are angels of fire, Isaiah wrote that they can't even look upon Him and that they have to take two of the wings and cover their faces because they couldn't even look at this holy God. Then Isaiah goes on to say that the the second set of wings covered their feet, and then with the third set of wings, that's what they used to fly with. That's kind of cool. Isaiah does not say how many of these particular angelic beings there were, these seraphs. However, it appears that they had one purpose, and their one purpose was a singular one, and that was to cry out in worship, exalting the absolute and complete holiness of God. That's all they had to do, was to fly around and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And I think we could take particular note of that. When we realize that if angels, who have never experienced redemption from sin, and who, when they come into the presence of God, feel compelled to completely just cry out and offer up everything they have to to the God that they see, how much more should we who have had redemption who have been redeemed from sin how much more should we do the same thing when we come into the presence of God angels don 't know what it was like to be in sin and to be redeemed look that up i mean it 's true they were comp- they were created as holy beings, they never fell. Adam was not like them. They never fell and then had to be redeemed through Jesus Christ. We have, and yet still, these angelic beings who were created like they were, still, all they did the whole time was to fly around and praise God. How much more should we be willing to do the same when we come into the presence of God? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. At the sounds of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. <clears throat> woe is, woe to me, I cried. This is Isaiah. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It seems that the, the voices of the seraphs were so powerful that Isaiah's surroundings shook like an earthquake, and smoke filled the temple. And if we look at the Bible, we see that that tremors and and smoke appear elsewhere in Scripture as symbols of God's arrival. For example, on on Mount Sinai, when, when God appeared to Moses, he manifested himself in tremors and billows of smoke. This is during the Exodus. And Scripture also tells us that The presence of God would come down as a pillar of smoke whenever Moses would enter the tabernacle. So this wasn't the first time, and it wouldn't be the last time that this happened, but it specifically pointed that because of this quaking and because of this smoke, that it indicated that the presence of Almighty God was in this place. And Isaiah reacted to this in in maybe a different way than what we would have thought. He reacted this with a one of abject personal horror and because of that it helped him to become acutely aware of the depths of his own sinfulness when he saw this great god and he saw how great this god was and he sees these fiery angels that are flying around this great god all of a sudden he is terrified because he realized i'm a sinful man and I believe that from the words that he said, I really feel like that he was convinced that that his death and eternal separation from God would result from him seeing God in his greatness. And I believe that we should react much the same way when we come into the presence of an almighty God. I read something from theologian and author Ron Cooper. He said this, and this is interesting, and I, it... Listen as we read this, it's kind of long. What's the natural response when you've seen God? You're convicted of sin. Woe is me, for I am undone. The closer I walk with God, the more quickly I feel my sin and realize how much I need God. It's like a huge mirror with a great big light over it. When we stand away from the mirror, things look pretty good. Suit looks in order, tie looks straight, the hair, what's left of it is combed. But then as you begin to move toward the mirror, things begin to show up. The suit has a spot on it. The tie is a bit wrinkled. The hair is out of place. The closer we get to the bright light, the more we realize our defects. It's the same way when we get close to God. When we get close to Him, we realize how much we need Him and how far we are away from Him. We are convicted of sin. End of quote. And that's what I really believe happened to Isaiah here. We, we don't read anywhere, anywhere before this vision that Isaiah was this horribly sinful man that just was going out and doing all kinds of horrible things. You don't see that. Yet when he came into the presence of Almighty God and he sees how great God really is, he is afraid for his life because all of a sudden he starts looking more at himself and starts seeing the little things that maybe are there that shouldn't be. And it's like that big mirror with the light over it. The closer we get to God, the more we see those things. When we're standing, if that mirror was over there, and I'm standing here looking, ah, it looks okay to me. But when I get closer to the mirror, I might see some wrinkles. A couple hairs out of place. And there's a lot of folks that are content to keep a distance away from God because they don't want to see those things. I'll just keep my distance, and that way, they won't be pointed out. There you go. And we know that there are things in all of our lives where we fall short of the expectations that God has for us as His followers. Even those of us that are saved and claim to be Christians, and claim to be believers, and claim to be followers of Christ, when we get closer to God, we will see things that we didn't see from a distance. I believe that's what happened here with Isaiah. He wasn't a horribly sinful man, but when he came into the presence of this God, whose train filled the temple, and who had angels of fire flying around him, and there's pillars of smoke and the earthquake, and, and he sees how great this God is, all of a sudden he starts, I wonder if I look okay? So who is this God of glory that Isaiah saw and wrote about? I think it's really cool when we can use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Because when we do that, we can be all the more confident of the biblical writer's intended meaning and the original experience and be all that more confident about what it really meant, if we can interpret one scripture with another scripture. And I say that to say this. In the New Testament, in John 12, the Apostle John quotes at length from Isaiah's vision that we're talking about this morning. And he he makes a lot of quotes and and takes little excerpts from, from this vision. But then in verse 41, he wraps it up with this. And this is why I say we're interpreting Scripture by Scripture. He wraps it up with this and offers this commentary about all this stuff. He says, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. And so what that tells me, that based on this, it seems that John was absolutely certain that the Lord who was sitting on the throne was no, no other person than Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool how you can interpret Scripture by Scripture? Let's go to Isaiah 6 and read verses 6 through 8. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. You see, by acknowledging his sinful state, Isaiah was now in a position to receive the atoning work of the Lord on his behalf, as well as forgiveness for whatever sins were in his life, and a cleansing grace from God. Had he not ever come into that that closeness of god and and been in the presence of god he would have never seen those things and i don't believe those things would have happened in his life but then as a symbol of his atonement one of these fiery angels these seraphs takes a flaming ember from the altar and places it on isaiah's lips again this is a vision which again remember isaiah had already declared that his lips were unclean So this angel takes a fiery ember from the the altar, places it on Isaiah's lips as a symbol of of this atonement, of how now his lips were clean. There are other places in the Bible where, where fire is mentioned as a purifying effect. After defeating the Midianites... The soldiers of Israel were told to purify their weapons by setting them in the fire. And when I first read this, I thought, well, that seems kind of silly. They burn up. But then I realized they used swords and spears back then. It wasn't like they threw their guns in the fire. So they were told to to take their their swords and their spears and to purify them in the fire. In Malachi 3 and 2, Malachi describes the, the day of the Lord as a refining fire. And more likely, more than likely, the fiery coal that Isaiah wrote about reflected the purity of the burning entities that Isaiah saw in God's presence. There was purity here. And I believe that when we come in contact with the Almighty God, and the closer we get to the Almighty God, and we actually will look at what we should be looking at, it will bring about purity in our lives and our hearts. So now, after this takes place, Isaiah could do like the angels and stand in the presence of God because his conscience is clean, his lips have been purified, and his sin has been atoned. And I will say that in a similar way, we too must be cleansed from sin before we can really be useful servants of God. That was the whole point. We know where they were headed with this. And there was this need for Isaiah to come into the presence of the Almighty God and for him to be purified, for his lips to be purified, and for him to look at himself and see, I am a sinful man and I need to make some changes. And then once these changes were made, then there was something big took place. But honestly believe none of that would have taken place had he not come into that presence of God. And I honestly believe in our lives until we make that kind of contact with the Almighty God. We will not be as useful as God would like for us to be. After the cleansing and atonement, the Lord then presents a question to the angelic beings around him. He says, who shall I send and who will go for us? Let's see. Isaiah's standing there by himself. Hmm. To me, it seems that Isaiah's response to the question is one that leads us to the the final message of this vision and probably the main point and how it applies to us. He who is forgiven much loves much. Isaiah realized that he had been forgiven and atoned of of all his sins at that point. And so he hears this question to ask, who shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah's response to God's cleansing was to offer himself up as God's servant. Isaiah would later discover that that God was sending him to speak to an impetuous and belligerent group of people. It didn't matter. You see, Isaiah was ready at this point to serve God in any capacity that he was called to serve. You say, well, how do you know that? I believe that whatever it was that the Lord was calling Isaiah to do, Isaiah was willing to go. You say, well, are you sure? I'm positive. You know why? Because it's interesting to note that Isaiah said, Here I am, send me, before God ever told him what he was going to call him to do. That tells me of a person's heart who is willing to do whatever God calls him to do. All they hear, they hear the question, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And they immediately respond, Here I am, send me. Send me. Now, a lot of us would have said, well, okay, hold on, I hear you. We got the question. Let me just ask a couple things of clarification here. I might be the one you send. What exactly did you have in mind? And could we get that in writing that there won't be anything added to that? Because I really would like to know what I'm getting myself into. Now, before you feel too bad about that, I will tell you that Moses and Jeremiah did something along those lines. They kind of asked some questions about what was going to happen and all that before they committed. But Isaiah didn't do that. He saw this this great God in all His glory and all of His holiness, and he saw how great God was, and he experienced the presence of God, and he experienced and saw in self that that he was a sinful person, and then all of a sudden there's this atonement for these sins, and no longer are these sins there. And then when he hears the question, who will I send, who will go, he just automatically says, me. Here I am. Send me. He accepted the appointment and he made himself available to the Lord. I will tell you that if, when we see that, the, the practical application to this study today is unambiguous. In other words, it's, it's pretty obvious what people was saying, what Isaiah was saying to the people of his day and it should be pretty obvious what he's saying to us as well. God wants us as his followers to be steadfast in our devotion to him. He wants from us the same relinquishing of our plans and will as he had from Isaiah. He wants us to say, here I am, send me. Now, we probably won't have the visions that Isaiah had. But I will tell you, we have something better. We have the complete Word of God, including all of the events of Isaiah's vision at our fingertips. I'm not saying you can't have visions. I'm saying we've got so much more. There is one profound way that our ministry differs from Isaiah's. God called Isaiah to preach a message of doom. He has called us to deliver a message of deliverance. Isaiah's main focus in the early part of his book was on God's outraged holiness. And the main focus of our outreach is in God's outreaching and everlasting love. I'd lot rather be taking our message than Isaiah's message. our strategy might be different than the methods Isaiah used, especially since our circumstances are different. The particular doom and despair that that Isaiah foresaw and preached about, that particular doom and despair has come and gone. Yet in many ways, it still exists today, and it's as devastating as it ever was. There is still evil in the world. And I will tell you that it probably will get much worse than it already is between now and when the Lord returns. Hopefully at at this point in our study, we're starting to see how this passage of Scripture applies to us in a personal way. However, the the next part might be a little bit more difficult for many of us, and that's trying to figure out where do we start. I get the point. I get the point that God is holy. I get the point that we need to come into His presence. I get the point that it points out the imperfections and the sin in our life, and and we we get rid of those things. And I get the point that that I'm supposed to then say, Lord, I'll, I'll do whatever you call me to do. I get all of that. But where do I start? Let's go back and look at Isaiah a little bit and we know that Isaiah found out that there is atonement for those who acknowledge God's holiness and their sinfulness. And then because of God's willingness to make atonement for those who repent, we see that there is this open door of fellowship. Isaiah did not feel, he felt dread, and he felt like he was going to die when he first came into the presence of God. But after that atonement, after that figurative cold from uh, from the altar was placed on his lips, all of a sudden, he was in the presence of God and everything was okay. They actually had this conversation. And after that... When we have that, that relationship with God and we can hear Him call to us, and we're not in fear because of sin in our lives, we answer His call to serve Him with our whole heart. A New Testament example of this is seen when, when Peter first encountered Jesus. When, when Peter first saw the, the Lord's supernatural power over nature, he begged for, for Jesus to go away. Why? Because Peter knew that he, himself, was a sinful man. And if this guy has that kind of power over nature, I'm kind of afraid to be around him. But we see that Jesus, who was full of grace for this remorseful fisherman who recognized his sin, he gently refused Peter's request to leave. And instead of leaving and leaving Peter there in his sin, Jesus said, I'm calling you to be a fisher of men. He could have just said, then fine, stay in your sin. But instead, Peter realized his sin and the sin was atoned for. It was gone and forgiven. And then Jesus said, I want you to follow me and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You're going to do great things. As we see with Peter's example, there is no better way to begin and then keep a relationship with Jesus Christ than admitting that our sinfulness is a barrier between us and a holy God. That's what Isaiah did too. He realized that the sin in his life, and I'm not talking about that you've been out robbing banks and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm talking about the things in our life that we don't recognize because we aren't close enough to God. There is no better way to begin and then keep a relationship with Jesus Christ than admit that sin in our life is a barrier between us and God. When we are willing to acknowledge to God what He already knows is true, the sinful condition of our hearts, then we'll be able to stand in His presence, we will worship Him, and we will, be desire, we will desire to be used by Him to advance the kingdom. Let me go one step further and say this. If we are true followers of Christ, we will desire to be free of sin. We will desire to stand in His presence and worship Him. And we will desire to be used of God to advance His kingdom. And if we don't have those desires, then we need to check our relationship. Because a true relationship with God will bring those things about in true believers and true followers of Christ. And often we talk about how we all have a work to do in the the kingdom. And I understand that. But we also understand that, that church whether it's church as in a single church or church with a capital C, that the church is a voluntary organization. No one is compelled to join it. Everybody's a volunteer. And because of that, we cannot force, and members cannot be forced, to accept duties. Of course, leadership can ask people to do certain things. And then pray that they will say yes, knowing that God will honor their efforts if they will. But nobody can force you to do something for God from your heart. Only we can do that. And I believe it only happens when we come into the presence and we really get close enough to God that we're willing to say, here I am, send me, I don't even need to know what it is. That might sound like a risky way to run an organization where everybody's a volunteer. But in spite of that, it's still God's plan for the church. Because the church is a spiritual body, not merely a business. Yes, we have to have good business sense in in a church, but it's not just a business. It's a spiritual body. I strongly believe that, that those who are true followers of Christ should be like Isaiah, and be so overwhelmed by the grandeur of God's holiness, by the grandeur of His love and mercy, that they will gladly volunteer for service at home and abroad. That when we finally grasp who God really is, and how great He is, and what He has done for us, we have no problem at all volunteering to do things for Him. Now, let me throw this in and say, we should never do anything for the Lord strictly out of feelings of obligation. I would not try to shame anybody into doing anything because then you're doing it for the wrong reason. If you do it for any other reason other than because it's from your heart, then it's really not going to be what needs to be done. Unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. Exactly. Not as unto me, not as unto the pastor, but as unto the Lord. Now, I will say that there are times when we see a need and we don't feel a particular call to do the whatever that is, but we go ahead and do it because we see the need and there's really no one else to do it. That happens. And I will tell you that when we do that, God will bless us there too. Instead of doing things out of obligation, our motivation should be one of being sensitive to God's leading. One of wanting to worship Him in a genuine manner. And as Brother Burrell said, one of, of wanting to do whatever we do as unto the Lord. And when we approach God in this way, we will find that, we will be spiritually transformed. And not only the local church would grow, but the, the church with a capital C, the kingdom of God, will grow. And grow in God's grace. And when we come to that place in our walk with God, we will gladly say, as Isaiah said in, six, in Isaiah 6 and 8, here I am, send me. God bless you.